Here we are at the last evening of our retreat. It feels like it's been um, it feels like it's been a very uh, powerful journey that we've shared together. I sort of feel like I've been here forever. <laughs> I can't believe it's just a week. <laughs> So for uh, some, maybe feeling that raring to go tomorrow, others may be sad, or a mixture of feelings that can come up. But I just really want to acknowledge that it's uh, that it has been a journey. These retreats are are strange experiences in some ways. And we put ourselves together in this container of silence and inner contemplation. And within that, just bringing some more awareness, we begin to uh, come into relationship with our human condition in a way that's a little different than in our everyday life. We, uh, we uh, can't um, really escape that easily from receiving and being, uh, experiencing the momentum of what our life is. And so I, I feel there is a, so important to really uh, honor our, our human condition. This journey is not so much one to try and catapult ourselves out to some ethereal realm, Although that's often what we might like to do as a, you know, as a spiritual undertaking. So we don't have to uh, feel some of the awkwardness and challenges and uncertainties. But actually to enter more deeply and fully our humanity to become true, truly human. Uh, so we've had a chance to really explore that this week using these ancient wisdom teachings from one of the primary wisdom uh, traditions of the world, the, the teachings of the Buddha and Buddhism, Dharma teachings, to, uh, to um, <clears throat> pick up some of these teachings and apply them and explore them to help illuminate and understand and come into relationship more fully with with our experience, all the different dimensions of our experience from the moments of tasting. Kirisara started on the first evening quoting from the Buddha, Vimuti Sarasabe Tamma, tasting it that at the core of every moment it's already peaceful. It's already full, it's already spacious, already immovable, it's already peaceful and still. At the core of every moment, every condition, there's nothing really happening. There's a lot happening, but there's also nothing really happening. It's always just like this. You know, whether we're here and we can think, oh, but when we get home, stuff will happen. Well, it it will, of course. Or if we go on to some exotic place somewhere else, 
maybe go on retreat at Dharmagiri in South Africa. <laughs> it's always just like this, really. <laughs> it's all the same, you know, just slightly different vistas. But, but in the moment, it is it's just it's empty. It's, uh, it's just what it, uh, what it is. But within the context of, there's a larger context of what is or whatever is unfolding within the moment, that pure presence. So we have moments of really, in our journey into our humanity, to recognize that at the core of every moment, core of our beingness, is this presence and knowing, awareness that has this the jitta, the heart, the mind, in its natural state, has this attribute of knowingness. It knows. And that's the same for all of us. Whatever the different distinctions that we have, the unique attributes of our personality and our life situation and the experiences that we move through, and everyone has had a very unique kind of experience, similar themes actually, often, but unique too. But at the core of that is the same knowing. It's not, it's intimate, but it's also really impersonal. It's awareness, profoundly intimate, the most intimate, present, always present, whatever the circumstance, and yet something we can't really see as an object, something we can't really get behind, something we can't own, we can't grasp, we can't pin it on a, in, within a picture frame. We can't say it's Buddhist or Christian or Jewish or Hindu or Muslim or anything else. We can't say it just belonged at the time of the Buddha and is not here now. No. Well, we, can, uh, we can recognize and honor Rest and taste. It's Vimuti Sarasa Bedamma, the freedom, always here and now. And yet, there's also true that this unfolding is a, a gradual unfolding, this unfolding of awakening, awakening more fully within our human condition. So, during this retreat, we've had the opportunity to illuminate. This, this nature of awareness illuminates, awakens. And some of what has been illuminated hasn't been that easy to be with. Some of it has. Some of it's been peaceful and lovely and opening, discovery, and some of it has, uh, some of it's been profoundly difficult or has entailed a sense of struggle. And all of this is within our awakening, all of this we, we get to know. Taking these teachings, learning to apply some skill, as we reflected in the morning chanting that the Buddha, the awakened one, although we could say that's the historical Buddha, there's always this principle of awakenness, that which is the Dharma, that which is teaching, 
that when we enter the stream of the Dharma, it is a training. The Buddha was the one that, as, uh, as we recited, can, uh, trains those who wish to be trained. So we entered here together. We entered with some faith. We picked up some of the tools offered and began to enter this training and to realize that in doing so, we're not just a victim of circumstance. We're not just a leaf in the wind. That The more this training of awareness and presence through the activity increasing our awareness and presence through this activity of mindfulness, training of attentiveness, helps to bring about a discernment, reflection, wise reflection, contemplation, inquiry. The more uh, gathered, the more focused, the more uh, present we are, the more the mind as we practiced in the early days of the retreat, this sama samadhi, this gathering of the energies of mind, the thinking mind through training, using thought to bring attention here. How is it now? Or the putho, breathing in, breathing out very, very simply with what is. Nothing other than being with what is, resting on the breath, training and gathering the energy of the mind, steadying the mind on the slow rhythm of the body, infusing and suffusing the body with the luminosity of the mind, calming and gathering the heart, feelings, soothing, calming through this samadhi, this focus, as, a, as we're more present, as there's more gatheredness, then naturally there is a, the, the, the mindfulness increases and the ability to illuminate and to look into the nature of our experience. And as we were doing that, we could begin to reflect on that which was, uh, can obstruct, can hinder. different uh, shape and movements of the mind, moving out into uh, forms of desire, wanting things to be other than what they are, wanting to be peaceful or wanting for, uh, to be somewhere else or wanting to be with others or wanting to be alone or wanting uh, all the, the different ways that the mind will want something different than what is, or its direct opposite, not wanting. You know, not, not wanting the painful knee or the, the irritable feeling or uh, not wanting to feel bored. So we can begin to see as the, uh, the mind is moving through the different kinds of reactivity to our experience here and now, how through not understanding and illuminating these hindrances, there's a tendency to, to generate this experience of struggle. So we began to, in this inquiry, as the mind, is there some steadiness, we can begin to inquire, what is, what is this struggle? 
What is wanting and not wanting? What is restlessness and dullness? What is thought? And then in the practice, in this training, we're encouraged rather than writing a, a PhD, which is you know, one thing we can do, write a PhD on emptiness, <laughs> which actually happens a lot. <laughs> and then quite a few people written PhDs. Mm. Emptiness, it's very interesting actually. <laughs> We're actually encouraged to, uh, to actually, rather than going into a big story about the experience, but to actually notice the, how changeable our experience is. You know, one moment feeling happy, next moment feeling sad, next moment wanting to be here forever, the next moment wanting to go home. You know, how undependable the chain, the, you know, this, the, the fickle sometimes the moods can be. And if we depend, as we were reflecting and contemplating, if we depend on our thoughts, on our moods to, to give us the sense of who we really are or to give, offer stability, completion, then we're going to always feel this sense of loss and uh, agitation. So in this, uh, this practice, in the heart of the retreat, we, we began to be encouraged through this reflection that the Buddha offered on the, on the noble truths, that when we don't, on a really, this is a more subtle reflection, when we're not really with how things are, when the mind is moving into wanting it any other way than what it is here and now, or pushing away what's here, generate this sense of struggle, of dukkha. Just once one of um, the disciple, Western disciple, Rajan Chah, who was uh, really... Um, You know, set on being a very, uh, very good monk, and for that he he needed to have a you know good sitting posture, being able to sit cross-legged on the concrete floor. But during uh, his time in the monastery in Thailand, he started to have a lot of problems with his knees uh, from an old accident he'd had as a teenager on a motorbike. So eventually he had to go into to hospital and have some operations on his knees, which meant that he couldn't uh, sit cross-legged anymore. He was incapacitated for quite a while. And his whole... It, well, this is speculation on my part, but I imagine his, it, the, you know, the self-image of being a great meditator sitting cross-legged you know, collapsed around him. He was very upset about it and... One day Ajahn Chah, as Kittisara was saying this morning when Ajahn Chah came to be with him after his bite in the forest and sat there and held Kittisara's hand saying, did it hurt? Ajahn Chah also went to visit this monk in hospital and said, well, how's it going? And the monk goes, ah, Long Poor, which means Venerable Father, it shouldn't be like this. 
It shouldn't be like this. I don't want it to be like this. You know, being here in the hospital with plaster on my legs and can't be, at, can't be meditating, getting enlightened, shouldn't be like this. And Ajahn Chah said, well, if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. <laughs> if it shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. <laughs> so there's a, you know, a lot of our experience of ourselves and of life and the mind, you know, that we're constantly going, it shouldn't be like this. This monk later used to say in his Dharma talks that we should upon life. <laughs> I'll let you work that out. <laughs> you know that uh, you know if it shouldn't if it <laughs> it's not I can't I It shouldn't be like this, it wouldn't be like this. So in, in our daily life, as we take this, begin to take this practice, this is perhaps one of the most helpful uh, phrases to orientate what Ajahn Chah primarily taught, which was right view or, or having the relationship to our experience that isn't dependent on an idea of how it should be, but is able to be in direct, mindful contemplative, reflective relationship with how it is, and then using that for as part of our awakening. You know, uh, we, we, as, you know it should, we should be a different way. The mind should be peaceful. We should be more, have more equanimity. We should be more worked out than we are. We should know what to say and what to do. We shouldn't get irritable. We shouldn't, you know, occasionally blow up and get upset and angry. But we do. This is it. So this this orientation, we are trained a lot in the monastery just to keep reflecting. This is how it is right now. So we can take that into you know whether we're on the subway in the city or whether we're you know sitting at some kind of endless meeting at work or whether we're in a conflict. I think that's the most difficult thing in our human experience is that when, when there's human conflict is such a common experience and we can really feel you know something going wrong but this is how it is this is what it's like this is we this is how the world is it shouldn't we shouldn't we know what shouldn't be we shouldn't have wars and we shouldn't have what's happening on the planet but this is how it is and it's not uh, fatalistic, this is how it is, so I abdicate, but this entering and practicing to be more and more fully here, more and f- more fully in our humanity doesn't mean more and more awakened, doesn't mean that we are abdicating our ability to respond. But our response, when it's in alignment with this is how it is, becomes more authentic to what is really needed. When we come from this is how it should be, this is how I should be and you should be, then it tends to create more complication and 
unnecessary struggle again. So it's this inner, what we can take from this retreat as we start to bring this practice into everyday life is not so much perhaps the result of this container where there's some more peace and stability, lucidity, maybe moments of insight, maybe even an ability that many of us have experienced as the mind has calmed and settled and we've got into touch with the deeper currents of our past uh, patternings or experience or, you know, maybe emotions that haven't been easy to be with but has been satisfying to be with because it's very real to be able to feel grief or upset and to touch things that we sometimes can't touch in the busyness of our daily life when we're so distracted and to actually feel and be with the human heart and its pains and its rawness and its vulnerabilities and that's important it's not always easy to feel that depth and come into relationship with at that depth in our, in when we're very busy and our habits of distraction start to operate, but being able, but however it is, just this is how it is. And then working from there. Working from there allows us to enter our, the reality of our experience, to be more real, to be more with the whole range of our human experience. As we enter you know, our, our, this practice, uh, helps us uh, to, to be more present for our life, to be more present for how it is. And rather than you know, meeting life from a, you know, a more defended place or from a fearful place, or from being very um, shaped by some of the very early life statements that we might have, that that you know many of us have as uh, when we're children, babies, children, growing up with some very deep learnings that can happen. I'm not lovable, or I shouldn't really be here, or I'm not welcome, or I can't trust life. Some of these kinds of life statements that can shape and condition our relationship to the body and mind, to, the, to life, to the world around us. Creating a, a sense of self that can be quite rigid or defended or painful, constricted. All of these in this process of awakening and, and illuminating we are freeing, freeing ourselves from these old, what now is not very functional patterns. And it's very, very, as, as I think we all have got a sense for, it's very patient work. We can't just, as an act of will, just knock out, you know, some of these more painful shapes of the self. Oh, it's all not self. Bah! Just kind of take out our feeling nature through vipassana meditation. 
It is true, we don't want to endlessly be caught up in the patterns and the voices and the thoughts and yeah, but to use meditation to, to try and just keep everything at bay doesn't really work because as soon as you know we we haven't got the strength of will to do that anymore, then everything that we haven't really witnessed to and begun to heal and resolve will emerge. So we have to be very, very patient, very humble sometimes in this practice to, to spend time with, with parts of our experience that aren't always easy to be with. But they will, some of the power, particularly of some of the more difficult and more and deeper pains that may have be there in our life, that may have overwhelmed us, with this, uh, this inc- as mindfulness increases, as attentiveness increases, as we get to become familiar with awareness as refuge, there is a power that can start to happen where you know, some of these tendencies start to lose their power. For years and years, I, I used to... Uh, and still do, uh, would have such a, a deep sense of somehow lack of right to be here, embodied. It's very, it was quite insidious and quite subtle, but it manifested as self-doubt or self-aversion or lack of confidence or a sort of a, not even a very nameless kind of skittishness of the mind or fear, not big I mean, sometimes, yes, big fear, but just this, you know, I still can feel it. It's it's a very deep primary conditioning that's in the self. And for for a long time, I couldn't even really see it because, as I was saying the other day, it's so much me, you know, be there, me, and then lots of reactions around that. And I began to, to really be able to through the through the practice really begin to see that as a conditioning and first we'll create some some space some perspective and i remember you know as that started to happen then some of the deeper feeling connected with that life statement and that early sankara or patterning became more vivid, became stronger to me. And I remember uh, one um, situation. I've been under a lot of stress. And um, Kitty Sara and I decided to take a little break, go on holiday. It's always a the time when the most stress comes out so you go on holiday to relax and then <laughs> find yourself faced with things that are not always easy to be with. So, And during this, uh, this little break that we were having, this was, this was when we were at a certain point of our time in South Africa, We'd gone to a restaurant one night by the, by the ocean. It's very lovely. And then we had some kind of disagreement about how much of a tip we should leave for this meal, you know. And 
And for some reason, it became a real issue for me. And, it, and I, underneath that was a, a lot to do with um, a struggle around sense of security. And, and a lot of the stress had been around uh, working in a, in a field, in a situation that had been very demanding. And you know, there's, a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of trauma in, in the part of South Africa we've been working in. And the feeling of the whole country really lacking this stability. A lot of violence, a lot of insecurity, a lot of overwhelm. And it was what was in the field was, had in a way been hitting into my early patterning, which had similar resonances. And for some reason, it's, on that night, it became focused around this issue of a tip. <laughs> And as I got more and more into, into, uh, into my pattern, I started to get quite upset. And then I found this, the fullness of this pattern started to emerge and, and I found myself in a very isolated place. You know, because uh, that's what anger and irritation does, it separates one out. You know, and you don't feel the connection, you lose connection. And for me in that place, it would be connected with my psychological patterns of disassociation and disconnection. Poor Kitty Sarah. <laughs> A great chill would descend. <laughs> and, but what, but th- there was a little bit of mindfulness operating. And um, I mean, it was tough for him. Very tough for him. Because I just went, went to this very, very cold place very distant place. And, and then suddenly my whole ground was lost underneath me. I was just, there was no, and it was then, you know, it's like these little things can sometimes, and as, a, you know, as we become more open, sometimes what has usually been really repressed will become more, con- start to become more conscious. Is why mindfulness is really important, some strength of presence to be able to withstand sometimes our, the deeper patterns that can come up that are connected, not only with, it's not only connected with one's own, this is my personal stuff, but it is also quite ancestral. Some of these energetic impressions that we experience have, can have a lot of momentum to them because they come in the family line or they come in the culture or they come in the ancestral line. And they're very, why they're so difficult? Because they're not necessarily coupled with even a cognitive frame. They're just, they can be very primitive almost. And we all, we all have that level of consciousness operating, but it's often unconscious to us until we start to awaken. And the nature of awakening is that everything will become conscious (laughs) to be recognized and resolved and healed and, and released. That is the process. So on this night, I, you know, as I was my, you know, this pattern was beginning to emerge. There's no ground. There's no place. There's no belonging. Yeah, very, very, very difficult feeling tone with that. What was quite surprising to me was that underneath that was a real um, movement to to death. 
It wasn't death of anyone else. So it could, it can sometimes these patterns. It was death to the self. A very profound peace that was just like you haven't. You've got such little right to be here. You should die. I don't know where that came from, but when it came, it was it was a shock. Uh, but it was it was you know what was important too at that moment was Kitty Sara. He was you know he had a very good practice going that, in spite of the chill, he was able to hold my hand. That was quite brave. <laughs> sometimes this is why sometimes we can't always do this alone. These journeys, you know. But it, it was at that moment, in some ways, I was able to feel the, f- the full depth of the pain. And, it, you know, it was so strong, it was about, it was, you know, threatening to take me out. I mean, my, my, the image I had, we were on the Indian Ocean, which was actually quite a shark-infested ocean where we particularly were. And I just had this sort of pull to just go into the dark ocean, it was night, it was to be taken out by a shark. Yeah, it felt like, yes. <laughs> so this, you know, this, this isn't easy to, you know, if you have, if one has a lot of idealism about being spiritual is that somehow <laughs> you're going to be dwelling in pink clouds and floating above the human realm, then it's, you know, that's not what's going to happen. But what what was what was became more uh, clear to me uh, as the time went on, and as that you know, as I was able to be with that and start to work through it, and it's almost like find my way back into my human realm, into the hum- my humanity, into my awareness, into my sanity, into warmth, into connection. What I began to realize, and I you know this work that been doing for many years now is that as as awareness touches some of these places and really really receives without condemnation without it shouldn't be like this without denial but that moment and it can even just be a moment of just feeling that it begins to release that the power of that pain that underneath was unconscious to me, but was creating this on the more surface, a lot of um, cognitive dissonance, you know, sabotaging voices, undermining, lack of, con- I mean, the symptoms of what was, you know, was connected to this larger, deeper energetic matrix within, within my being, within the energy system. So this, this really has given me a lot of confidence in this practice that even though sometimes that shape or form will come up, it, it has really lost the power. It will come more like a ghost. You know, maybe some of the voice or the form, but it, lost, it has lost the power to really have quite the same impact. And this is the power of awareness. It's not me trying to fix myself, but it's just this, as I've uh, been saying to um, some of the groups that, Awareness is a bit like just holding, you know, if you were, you know, like Kitty Sarah, holding my hand at that moment, just being there, touching, without trying to fix or mend or sort out, but just being there very gently, 
This is what we're doing for our being with awareness. We just hold, we just touch and allow the power of awareness, mindfulness. It has within it a deeper intelligence, a deeper flow, a a deeper movement to health. When we're really rooted in mindfulness and awareness, we're sane, we're, we're connected with health. So in this practice, this, um, we're, really, uh, we're, we're, we're working not to awaken into some ideal of wakefulness, or as Carl Jung said, it's not about imagining figures of light, but actually bringing the light to that which hasn't yet been illuminated. So that when we are with how things are, this is how it is, and when we are touched, or as Ajahn Chah said, preparing the preparation of moments of this practice, when we are touched by that which has intensity, we're able to begin to know where to go, how to be, how to place the mind and the heart. And this training of knowing that in every moment we can always return to the simplicity and the rootedness of the breath within the body, the putho, the being here, the, re- the release and the letting go into trusting that space of awareness, presence. And from there, the deeper intelligence can arise, what is needed, how to respond, how to be, how to, should one move and act, should one let be. There's not a rule book, is there? Go to page 10. It's not always easy to know what to do. Most of the times it's almost impossible to know what to do. But, you know, if we can trust that awareness, something can unfold, something can guide, something will respond. At times we're in, uh, we're living in such in such increased intensity. This last few years, for me, have felt actually very challenging. In some ways, I don't know. My whole life has felt challenging, <laughs> but <laughs> but particularly, it's felt like there's that globally. And I don't really see it getting easier. I just see that uh, the conditions, the causes in place for an increase of intensity. And when, when, you know, if we don't really have a sense as human beings how to come to a place of sanity, how to come to a place of mindfulness, of awareness, then when when we're challenged, and uh, by the possible breakdown of economic systems, of social systems, of of, uh, environmental weather patterns, for example. And we're challenged by a certain lack of stability, certainty as we are increasingly in the world that we're living in 
it's so easy if we don't have any mindfulness to just, just to default for us to go up. In mindfulness and awareness, we start to feel and sense a more unitive consciousness, meaning that we're really feel, able to feel with and connect with the flow of life, with each other, with other beings. When we lose that and we get pushed up into the part of the mind that creates the world as an object to us, out there, separate, as different, then it's very easy, it's easier for us to react out of fear, out of violence, when we're threatened, or our resources are threatened, or our tribe is threatened in some way or another. So our consciousness, we have this as, you know, entering and becoming more fully human, we have this challenge now. You know, do we repeat the patterns that we've, just, that we've, uh, of destruction and violence from the mind under the influence of fear? Or can we move into a, an awareness that is able to respond with more skill, able to respond in a way that feels the connection with other beings, with the planet, with a whole, uh, not, not separate, not divided. So I feel, you know, sometimes people say, oh, what are we doing in this, just sitting here, watching our breath? It's hard to say what we're doing, isn't it? You go home and say, well, how's it go? You know, what have you been doing? I, I remember once when I was a, a Buddhist nun in my, this was in the early 80s before, you know, now it's a little more mainstream, it's not so weird, but <laughs> the time when I first shaved my head and became a nun, it was a little more weird, 1979 in West Sussex. <laughs> you know, it's a little unusual. I remember my, um, <laughs> some, um, some journalist came to do an article. I, I, ordained, I was one of the first four women to ordain in the West, in the UK. And some journalist came to, um, to do an article on, on the four of us. And I hadn't really had the courage to fully tell my family the kind of what I was actually up to. <laughs> so I, I used to ring my mother. I mean, I'd she knew I'd already, I'd sort of left home quite young. I'd already sort of wandered off to India and here, there and everywhere and been living in ashrams and communes and things. And so they knew I was a bit weird. So I, <laughs> I, I, I used to bring up my mother and go, I'm, where are you now? Go, well, I'm, I'm staying in this place. <laughs> and she said, what, what kind of place? Well, it's, how's the weather over there? <laughs> I couldn't quite get to say that I sort of I'd become a novice nun I know it's terrible isn't it I mean I should have been more upfront, but I just couldn't quite but anyway one day my 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 one of my aunts was at the hairdressers and she was under one of those things you know reading the woman's this was the woman's own magazine and she's reading the woman's own magazine and there I am with my shaved head and she looks at it and she gets on the phone she goes is that our Mary? <laughs> I think that's our Mary. Is that our Mary? She hasn't got any hair. <laughs> so the next thing, my mum came hurtling to the monastery. 
And she, I went up to her and, oh, hi, mum. And she just, because I used to have this really long hair and I suddenly had none. And she just like burst into tears and she was like, oh, it, was, it, was, it was bad, I was bad, I was not. I just couldn't quite get there. And then, and then eventually, you know, the, um, when I took my next ordination, I, I actually did invite my whole, f- I thought I've got to do this right now. So I, I invited my, my whole family, including my grandmother's who actually thought it was very cool. Interestingly enough, my Irish grandmother would go like, oh, you're out of this wicked world. <laughs> That's so good. I'm so glad you're out of this wicked, wicked world. So she was happy. She, was, she thought she didn't really know what Buddhism was, but none, good. That was great. Yeah, yeah, just pray for us all. You'll be fine. And then my other granny, who was very, she was from the east end of London, very working class, she'd go around, she went to all the monks and grabbed them and said, oh, bless you, ducky, bless you, darling, good on ya. You know, so I thought, well, the grands are all right, it's all going to be cool. You know, they're, 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 so. But I remember once when I, uh, I, I finally thought, well, I'd better make an appearance, because a very large extended family from London, Irish, mostly Irish family, and, and then it came to my, my parents had a wedding anniversary and they, they said, you've got, to come, you've got to come home for this. And I was like dreading it. So I thought, okay, I'll go because I had all these rules. I couldn't eat before noon and, you know, they're going to have this huge meal and it's all going to be a problem and I was going to be a problem. So anyway, I turned up and, you know, there's loads of alcohol and food and this and that. And I'm here in my robes and shaved head with all these rules. <laughs> and then my cousin, who I hadn't seen for years, came up to me and he went, so what's all this about? <laughs> and, I, and I just didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to explain it. So I said to him, it's about suffering. <laughs> and he looked at me as if to go, yeah, so what? And that was it. That's, uh, that's all I could get to on that visit. And so it, it is, it's hard, it's hard to explain what this is about, you know, I, you know, I, sometimes I've given up trying, <laughs> but however, however, you know, sitting on one's butt, watching one's breath, you know, what ha- what's happened here this week, what have we been sharing this week, but however, I, I, I do, I do really feel <laughs> and that it is a very powerful, it's a very powerful activity to just pause and to, to really uh, get a sense of the fullness of our, our capacity as human beings, to actually recognize that there is this, you know, this underlying Im- imminence. You know, it's so peaceful. We can return to, we can know, we can rest. And we can really let go and trust in that letting go. We're not going to arrive at being just a cold cucumber that's awakening but we're actually letting go into a place of uh, of real connection and responsiveness being able to authentically respond so that the the sense of self as we move through life isn't defended and fearful and rigid and always operating from strategies although we might need to strategize but we can hold that lightly but is able more and more to really flow in a more connected way to really sense how to respond, is able to be adaptable, is able to be a conduit for, for light, 
for wisdom, for authenticity, is able to feel connected, not so much projecting either our our difficulties onto the world, but being able to own that back and work through (coughs) our shadows and our pains, transform them and transmute them, but also to own back and our, our awakening potential. So it's not special people out there. I know if I can do this practice from where I've come from, then anyone can do that we can all, little by little, it is very patient, but little by little we can, through this uh, moments of applying path activity, that's all we're asked to do, is all we're encouraged to do, not some big heroic leap to the top of the Enlightenment pyramid, you know, but in a very organic, keeping our connection with our humanity, our earth, you know, our authenticity, little by little applying these moments of path activity of being here, being more with how it is, being with the breath, contemplating, reflecting, inquiring, applying mindfulness. But little by little, inevitably this awakening process will operate within our life, will unfold and we will find ourselves being able to naturally, organically, be of service to not to anything in particular, anyone, but just to be in the flow of what is needed to help this uh, suffering world. Bring moments of peace, moments of clarity, moments of presence, moments of love. So really encourage us to stay with the process, to take what we've... It's only a week, we only could touch into a few things here, but to really value what you have been doing, to, you know, we value all the work that you've done. It's been beautiful. Really touched our hearts and really helped us to practice. (laughs) You know, to really, to value that and to honor yourself and your practice as we try to honor ourselves too. This is a beautiful activity to, to be here together at uh, this retreat center. Uh, so may all that is wholesome, may all that is blessed from our activity here together, touching into the sacred, may that mysteriously ripple out to touch bless those around us and this world around us, particularly at this time of increasing challenge and intensity. May there be peace. May there be well-being for each one of us and for our families and for our loved ones and for all beings, wherever they dwell, in whatever situation. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
donate.